Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. You would speak through him today. Lord, thank you for the intimacy of his walk with you and his desire to love you and bless you. Father, from, from his intimacy with you generates all good things. And we pray that we would join in that today, that we would join in that today, and each of us would have a powerful, intimate generation of your presence and your love in our hearts. Lord, thank you that you touch us so deeply and sensitively. Thank you that you are so aware of everything that we are going through and that you are bringing the freedom that you desire into our hearts and lives. So we just love and bless you and hug you today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Gathering Place. <clears throat> Excuse me. And for those that are on the Zoom or on the podcast, thank you for tuning in. Pastor Todd, one of the pastors here. And uh, we're going through uh, the book of Ephesians. And it's fallen to me this week to do Ephesians chapter 3. And so we're going to stay on slide number one here for a bit. Um, but we're going to title this one, Living a Christ-Filled Life. And so in this section of Ephesians, Paul goes through and talks about some of the characteristics, some of the mindsets of living a Christ-filled life. And we all know, anybody who's named the name of Jesus, who's walked for any length of time, Check, check. All right. So anybody who's walked in the faith for any length of time knows that Christian life is challenging. It's not a bed of roses. And even if it was, a bed of roses has thorns in it, right? I mean, like, like it's tough, and it'll be the toughest thing that you ever do. I mean, like, case in point, if we are living the Christ-filled life, when the sway of the culture goes one way, when the opinions of our co-workers go one way, when the opportunities to compromise for the sake of ease moves one way, we don't. And so when everybody else is moving, we're standing still, and that kind of sets us apart, that we're just a little bit different. And sometimes that'll yield uncomfortable results. You might end up with uncomfortable conversations. Somebody might ask an uncomfortable question. Why aren't you railing against said president? Like, why aren't you like, taking up this X cause? And then they ask you the question, and if you give an honest answer, like, there it is. You're out, right? There's no covert operation in terms of that. Yet this is what we're called to do. We're called to live a life different from the world. We're called not to go the way of the world, but to take that narrow path that Jesus talks about, that narrow path that leads to life. The good part is, when we serve the Lord, <coughs> He's there to see us through it. Like, we're not doing this alone. We're not flying solo. Like, we have the presence of Jesus wherever we go and whatever we do. So in today's message on Ephesians 3, we're going to look at four truths about living a Christ-filled life and how we can partner with God in it. So this will get us into slide number two, and this is going to be the whole passage, pretty much all of uh, Ephesians 3. So follow along with me. <clears throat> For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, 
Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, <coughs> excuse me, who, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray, out, pray that out of this glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Right? <laughs> Amen. All right, so a bit of a mouthful. So we're going to pull out four big things out of this. <clears throat> so this is going to lead us into slide number 16, Twyla. <clears throat> the first point is that Paul mentions that the mystery of the gospel, right? This mystery. And he talks about that in a lot of his letters. Like, I've got this mystery I'm going to reveal to you. And like, how many times is it tempting for us to click on a YouTube channel or even a Netflix video that talks about, like, oh, the hidden mysteries of the ancients past? Like, it's always been a part of human nature to want to go find out these hidden mysteries. And so Paul actually uses that in his language to get people's attention. Oh, I've got a mystery. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that all of God's people in generations past could only hope to get a glimmer of. That's like an attention getter. It draws you in, right? You're like, oh, these mysteries. And so he goes and he tells this mystery, right? Everywhere he goes, if you look at the book of Acts, everywhere he goes, goes to the synagogues, preaches, gets people's attention, comes back the next time, reveals the mystery. What's the big reveal? Gentiles can be the people of God, right? 
and it doesn't always go over so well. It's like the mystery they don't want to know, right? It's very anticlimactic. <clears throat> but it's anticlimactic from a human perspective, from a religious perspective, where like there's a set parameter of who God will bless and who God's people are, and that parameter shall never be infringed upon. And Paul infringes upon that. And he reveals this mystery. And we see that this was a scandalous thing in Paul's day. It was unheard of. Like, what? You're going to let Gentiles into the Holy of Holies? Like, how sacrilegious can that possibly be? That's why Paul was beaten and arrested time and time again. It wasn't because he was preaching Jesus resurrected from the dead. He was preaching Jesus resurrected from the dead and the Gentiles can be forgiven of their sins. That was the mark of like, no, this is not going to fly. <laughs> but he did it. And we see, like Paul said, that, like was something that the prophets of old were constantly pointing to. Constantly pointing to it. And it, for centuries it kept the Jews in anticipation, right? For this big reveal. And when and it comes to fruition, it ends up not being the revelation that the Jewish people wanted to hear. And that's why it's such a contentious point. But it's the true revelation of the mystery. It is the real truth of what God's been trying to reveal for thousands of years. And so we, as most of us in here are pretty much Gentiles, we as Gentiles have been allowed to use the phrase in Romans to be grafted in to the olive tree that is Israel. Like we're allowed to partake in being sourced in God, to having our life in Jesus, and having the blessings of God's covenant come upon us. And so what do we do when we know this mystery? Like most, of, I believe all of us in here have come to some level of faith. So what do we do when we're, when we come to understand this mystery, that we're Gentiles and we're accepted into God's family. <laughs> As Christians, one of the things is, and, and this can, Pat can testify to this just in her conversation this morning, that when we talk about our faith, first is it's important to clear up a couple things. That the gospel is available to everyone. Before Jesus came, like God's truth and God's revelation was only available to one ethnic group. And when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, he blew that rule right out the window. And anybody, I mean, Romans says, anybody who calls on the name of Jesus and believes in their heart will be saved. This gospel is available to anybody, <laughs> regardless of their race, their ethnicity, of their cultural heritage. It doesn't matter. The gospel is available anyone. And the second is that the gospel is Jesus' redemptive sacrifice and substitution. That is the good news. There is no good news. There is no forgiveness of sins without Jesus' work on the cross. There's no other way. So that's the second part we have to be clear about. That it's not just there are many ways to God and Jesus is one of them. That's an absolute lie. There's only one way to God and that's through Jesus. Even Jesus said in John, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's the first big point that, that Paul just drops down in Ephesians 3. 
is that that mystery has been revealed through Jesus. And that mystery is that redemption and forgiveness allows Gentiles as well as Jews to be brought into the people of God, the people of God's covenant. So when we talk about that, we're clear about that. That gospel is available to everybody, and that gospel is only through Jesus. So that's the first major point. <laughs> yeah, sure, go ahead. Well, if you want to, so here's a, let me, let me answer your question with this question. All right. So let me answer, let me answer your question with this question. Would you have a decent, Nevin, would you have a decent relationship with your dad or your mom if you never talked to him? I mean, so like the whole point in this, it's not just this, this idea it's this ongoing dialogue with a relationship with a person. And so if you're not, have, not willing to have that dialogue, if you're not willing to have that conversation, then there is no relationship. So, yes, you do have to address him, and you do have to talk to him, and you do have to acknowledge him as the Lord. <clears throat> because that sets the foundation of the relationship. And then you build from there. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's our first main point. Then our second point... Paul reveals is that God uses the church to reveal his wisdom to the spiritual realm. We don't think about this too much. We're, we're usually pretty caught up in the here and now. We don't really think a lot in terms of like the dynamics in the spiritual world. But Paul's dropping this major thing that like in the, in the Jewish mind back in the day, even in the Gentile mind, <coughs> like demons and spirits were very active. Like, in, in their worldview, like, demons and spirits were, were manipulating things left and right. Um, and so it's forefront in their mind. Uh, you can even look up, like, ancient exorcism rites from the ancient Greeks and stuff. It's really bizarre stuff. But Paul is using that understanding to say that God is now using his people. He's using the church to reveal his divine wisdom, not to other people, but spiritual authorities, spiritual creatures, right? Angels, demons, the devil, all of that. God is using the church. Somehow he's using the church to reveal his powerful wisdom to other supernatural beings. <clears throat> kind of harkens back to uh, 1 Peter 1.12 when it says that the angels desire to look into this thing that God's doing with people. The angels want to look in like, what is going on here? God's revealing this to the angels that didn't really fully understand what he was doing with humanity. So he's using a redeemed humanity to astound the spiritual realm, both the light and the dark. To kind of cast an idea, <coughs> excuse me, of, of a perception, you know, from a spiritual being. Uh, I'm going to pull out a, a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. So it was the hardest book he ever had to write because he had to try to write from the perspective of a demon. So he had to try to think about how a demon would think to write these letters. And uh, so this is actually letter number two. So right, right off in the beginning of, of his series of letters, 
This is what <laughs> C.S. Lewis is, is trying to capture the mentality of a demon in terms of its relation to the church. And, and you know, he's, he's writing advice to his little nephew who just graduated like demon school. And he's trying to go out. He's got his first assignment to tempt this guy. And so he's writing advice to uh, this, uh, this uh, junior demon uh, and talks about, because this guy just became a Christian. And so he's like, okay, all hope is not lost. Like, you can still get him, right? So this is what he has to say. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Remember, this is a demon's point of view, right? Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean, this is what they really think, I do not mean the church as we see her, spread throughout time, all time and space, and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That's how they're looking at the church. That, I can confess, as a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. <laughs> That's how they feel about the church. But, this is where they have the advantage, Fortunately, this is quite invisible to these humans. We tend not to see that. We tend to see our day-to-day -day interactions, our daily struggles, right? So that's the end of the quote here, but I'm going to go on and read the rest of uh, this part of, the, part of it because it, it, I think it, it kind of juxtaposes, right? So they see the church throughout time and history as this terrible army with banners. And then the next section is kind of how we look at church. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection of the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling to offer him a shiny little book containing a liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and in a very small print. When he gets to his pew and looks around, he sees that just selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. So all throughout the week he avoids these neighbors, but in church he, he sees them. And so the, so the advice to the little demon is make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. Because we as humans are so tempted, so inclined towards seeing the here and now, Right? Even in my life, we've got a, a, a baby coming in three-ish weeks. Right? Do you not think my mind is spinning on like what the dynamics of this household is going to be like? I know John's like, <laughs> i got nine of them. <laughs> but like me, like, this is my first time with number three. Right? Like, like how many... Three is one of the hardest transitions. Okay, all right. All right. Thank you for the advice. <laughs> so... So do you not think that that's in the forefront of the mind, right? Like, how are we going to manage a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a newborn? How are we going to manage the finances for that? How are we going to manage sleep? Oh, you know, like, it, 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 it resounds this, this terrible phrase my Greek professor back in college said when I said, like, I have all this time to study to learn Greek. When am I going to sleep? And he goes, plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. I'm like, that's like, oh, right? I mean, so, so that's the very, in my life, that's the very real here and now. You know, regardless of the fact that if I look back time and again, God has provided, right? God provided for the first baby. God provided an avenue for sleep. 
I learned about this thing called polyphasic sleep. I can tell you about it later if you're interested. God provided when Finn came along. So we know God's track record. God will provide when this little one comes along. Right? And we're, we've even seen, like, even, even like, like this month, we've just been like, Lord, how are we going to manage this? Like, like, finances are tight with four people in the house, let alone a fifth, right? And, and just recently, we've, we've seen, like, God bring a provision financially, just out of the blue, a provision to take care of our immediate need because God's provision is there. Because we tend not to see the church throughout history like a terrible army. We see, how am I going to get to the next day, right? That's a challenge that we face. But God, in his wisdom, is using our membership into this church that has come about ever since the gospel began to spread as this force to reveal his power to supernatural beings. Now, if we get our minds around that, I, I think that like, there's nothing that could like, really daunt us. It's just a matter of how do we train our minds to do that, right? <laughs> so this will lead us into there's something we can do, right, to try to partner in this, to try to get this perspective. And that's slide 21. That during our prayer times, presuming we do have prayer times, I know life gets busy. I know sometimes my prayer times struggle. And... And I'm a pastor. Like you, you think that I'd have that thing like down pat. Man, I've been doing this for over a decade, almost two decades, and it's still a struggle sometimes to get a decent prayer time down. <laughs> but during those times, when we invite the Holy Spirit, we can ask Him to help us see things the way He sees them, so we don't get caught up constantly in the here and now and stressing about what about this, what about that, what about this, what about that. And Lord, help you if you ever turn on the news. Because then it's just all, it's all over, man. To get that perspective from heaven. To see things the way God sees it. Because then all of that other stuff, just like when Peter was looking at Jesus in the storm, like it, it didn't matter. When you get your eyes into the here and now and focus on that to the exclusion of God's perspective, that's where that stress comes from. I know. Like, I'm living it. Like, like I'm looking at She knows. <laughs> So asking the Holy Spirit to help us see things from his perspective can change a lot of how we act and interact. So there's, there's a lot to learn about that. Okay, so then the third point that Paul drops down in Ephesians 3 is that first is Christ is inside of us. And Christ being inside of us strengthens us. There's this strength that happens. <laughs> Philippians, uh, in Philippians, Paul says, you know, uses that phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which I think is kind of blown out of context because usually it's an athlete that talks about that after overcoming like the, the final victory of a football game. And Paul's writing it, starving in a prison in chains. And he's like, I can do anything through Christ. He strengthens me. Not the bread, not the comfy bed, not, you know, this concerted effort, it's Christ who strengthens me. I can receive a victory even when the world says that I am a huge loser. So there's this Christ inside of us that strengthens us. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you guys have heard it said, in the last probably 15 years, it's been kind of in vogue to, to criticize certain parts of the, the church. 
And I've heard this one a lot, this, this criticism where somebody says, there's nowhere in the Bible that says to ask Jesus into your heart. Have you ever heard that or not? Like, I've come across that. So it may technically be true that it doesn't say, ask Jesus into your heart. <laughs> but what is in there is what Paul said in this chapter, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And how do you get Christ into your heart? Right? You believe with your heart and you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then you are saved. It's that surrender. You know, and if you think about like, if, I, if I'm asking Christ to come into my heart, in my mind, I also see that passage, I think it's Revelation 3 or 4, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? And if anybody will open... I will come in and I will have communion with him and I will dine with him and I will dwell with him. So the concept is in the Bible, even though those actual words may not be in the Bible. <clears throat> so it's totally legit to say, ask Jesus into your heart. Because it's there. I mean, like, Ephesians 3, Revelation 3, you're golden. Just, just saying. Just saying. It's there. <laughs> Slide number 23. The next thing that this Christ strengthens, strengthens us um, important to bring out that it's not a physical strength. It's not the athlete's ability to overcome a hardship. And it's not emotional fortitude. It's not somebody who's just emotionally robust. And it's not this keen mental acumen, right, where somebody's like just really sharp and like sharp-tongued and sharp-witted and can, can shut down any argument in a, in a heartbeat, which is kind of cool to see. But that's not the strength that he's talking about. The strength that Christ gives us is, in my opinion, is rooted in an assuredness, this confidence that we are rightly related to the God of the universe. That we are, in, we are in good with the creator of all things. So there's nothing outside of his control. And we can bank on that. And anything he calls us to, he will empower us to do it. <laughs> there's that Christ in us, as it brings us that strength to, to push through any obstacle that we face when pursuing the kingdom of heaven. Because when we understand this, it's that God's kingdom is greater. His kingdom is more eternal. It is stronger than anything the world or the devil and his minions can muster. He is more powerful than Russia's nuclear bombs. He is more powerful than the World Economic Forum. And he is more powerful than all of the dumb laws that I think are wrecking this nation. That's my opinion. He's more powerful. And his kingdom is more eternal than the United States. It's more eternal than Russia. It's more eternal than Ukraine. It's more eternal than Mexico and Guatemala. And that is the kingdom that we are citizens of. Yeah, technically, like, we're citizens of the U.S. You know, I'm a patriotic person. First and foremost, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I am a child of God. <laughs> and if God plucked me up and threw me in the middle of another country and said, this is my will, I will still be a member of that kingdom. And that kingdom will still be more powerful and stronger and more eternal than any other kingdom I can find myself in. 
And Christ inside me will give me that strength to push through. Will give all of us that strength to push through. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so Christ strengthens us, right? Christ inside us strengthens us. So what's our to do? We're going to jump down to slide 26. We're going to face difficult times. You're going to face it. I'm going to face it. Whatever life has, we're going to face challenges. Anybody who's never faced a challenge has never really lived. I mean, like, honestly, like, like there's challenges. When we face those times, when we face those obstacles, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's an internal thing we're trying to get lined out in our lives, we remember it's not our job to shoulder that burden alone. That's not our job. Our job is not to do this alone. When we come across those, it's our place to put those burdens at the foot of the cross. It doesn't mean that we neglect our responsibilities. It doesn't mean that we like, shirk what we're supposed to do. It's that we invite Jesus into the situation to work through it. And know that as we're partnering with the Lord, He's going to see us through this. It doesn't mean that our situation or the relational person will automatically be corrected, or even ourselves. Sometimes that's a long process that takes time. What it does mean is that we are choosing the burden of Jesus, not the burden of our situations. And when we choose the burden of Jesus, Jesus' promise is this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we walk through these situations in Jesus' presence, with Christ inside of us, strengthening us, we find him there in the midst of the difficult time, shouldering the bigger part of the burden. That's what that whole thing is. When Jesus talks about the, the whole yoke, like you've probably heard a, a hundred messages on like the whole yoke that you put on the, the beast of burden, and the yoke is that wooden thing that he uses to like bring the plow. <laughs> and what they'll do is they'll take like a, like a full-grown ox and put one part of the burden on him, and they'll put like a little baby ox next to him with a smaller part of the yoke so they can train the baby ox alongside the big ox. And the big ox carries the bigger part of the burden, and the little ox, you know, has to do some work, but nothing near as much as that big ox. And that's the whole analogy of us. We're that little ox. We've got that little dinky yoke on us, just plowing along, because Jesus has got that huge part of the burden on him, just, just plowing through, unstoppable. All right? So that's that image. When we take that yoke with Jesus, the yoke is easy, the burden is light, because he's carrying the brunt of it. So we can get through that. <laughs> As we walk through that situation in his presence, he'll be there. Our problem is the temptation to keep pulling more of that burden on our shoulders. And that's where we have to learn not. To, to use a phrase back home, I don't know if you guys have it up here in northern Illinois, to get too big for your britches. Like, you don't get too big for your britches, right? You just walk in step with Jesus, and he makes sure we get through this. And that leads us to our fourth thing, truth 
truth bomb that Paul likes to drop down in Ephesians 3. And that is, with Christ in our heart and us being rooted in his love, Paul's prayer is that we comprehend, and I'm, I'm going to say not, not comprehend here, comprehend here, on a deep spiritual and I would, I'm going to go and say experiential level, the depth of God's knowledge surpassing love. <clears throat> Paul says his prayer is that having experienced, known this love of God, that having our own being, our own heart rooted in his divine love, we might just get a fuller understanding of how vast this love really is. I mean, he talks about how, how deep, how wide, how high, how broad is the love of God. I know in the, in the mid-90s, one of the Christian artists came out with a song about that. That's what made it all popular. But, you know, I mean, we're talking about this three, four-dimensional, like, depth of God's love. And, like, honestly, in my, my opinion, like, I think we've only scratched the surface of what this love is. <laughs> and, uh, and it says it surpasses knowledge. I mean, so we're talking about a love that surpasses, like, the deepest knowledge that, that the smartest astrophysicists can come up with, right? They have this vast knowledge of the cosmos, and God's love extends way beyond that. Of, of the most complex mathematicians, and his love goes way beyond that. The most astute relationship therapist and their understanding of human dynamics and God's love surpasses all of that knowledge. And Paul says, I want you to get a grasp of just how vast that knowledge is. And so how do we, how do, we do that? I mean, like one is like there's that experiential part. We have to experience that love of God. <clears throat> so our to-do, this is slide 28. When we face challenging circumstances, and I would say especially in relational context, right? Because this whole gospel thing is about relationship. Like, as I've heard it said so many times, you know, you got the cross, you got the vertical and horizontal, and the vertical is getting that right relationship with God, and the horizontal is getting that right relationship with people. When we're faced with those challenges, because we're people, and we're going to do dumb things to other people, and people are going to do dumb things to us. And our challenge is to think, what is the most loving action that we can act out? Sometimes that can be a harsh word. I think Proverbs says that you know, a harsh word from a friend, <laughs> you know, like what better the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy, right? Sometimes it's long-suffering and patience. Speaking truth and love, right? Sometimes there's a lot of grace that happens. Sometimes it's a tough word. Whatever it is, but thinking what the, and cooperating with the Holy Spirit in this, what is the most loving action that would be fitting for the situation for me to act out? And to seek the Lord on His perspective on this and to strive to act out of love with that perspective in mind. Right? So when we think of the church and all of its power throughout history that God's divine wisdom has poured through and then God's knowledge surpassing love has been poured into us, how can we take that perspective and act that out in a relational context? I know I just get really, probably got really like heady and philosophical there. 
But how do we act in the divine love of God in our relational situations? That's the, that's the question. That's the challenge. Because that's what we're called to do. But doing that, I mean, even if we fail, I mean, like, we're going to try this and we're going to fail over and over and over. You know what? That's okay. It's okay to fail. Proverbs says, righteous man falls down seven times, gets up an eighth time. Just keep getting up. You just keep doing it until you get better at it. That's what makes the Christian unique, is that we keep pressing into this heart of God to inform us how we interact with other people. And so there's this push into God's love that causes us to treat other people in a divine, loving manner. (laughs) And that's what makes Christians unique. That's what sets Christians apart. Jesus even said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Not by how strong your doctrine is, not by how well you know your theology, and not by how prosperous your church is. How well do you love in a way that's characteristic of God's divine love? Many Islamic converts, I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, have converted to Christianity with one thing that really caught their attention. And it's summed up in this little phrase. The one thing that got got to me about Christianity, it wasn't their Bible, it was their love. Because we don't have that kind of love in Islam. Like, they don't have the love and the grace of God found in the Bible. So when they meet loving Christians, it changes them. It impacts them on a soulish level to a degree that they're willing to give up their Islamic faith because that love conquered their worldview and shed truth and life into them. That divine love. So that's our last to do. So in conclusion, we'll wrap that up. We've looked at these four main points in Ephesians. (laughs) This is slide 29, Twyla. That the mystery of the gospel is the inclusion of Jews and Gentiles into the people of God. Number two, that God uses the church to reveal his wisdom to spiritual beings. Number three, that Christ who dwells in us strengthens us to get past those burdens and obstacles because he bears the greater brunt of that. And four, being rooted in God's love experientially gives us the ability to grasp a fuller depth of that love and to act that out towards other people. So that's, those are the four points. Here's the four related to-dos. What do we do? Slide 31. Talking to others, be clear that the gospel is available to anybody, any individual who walks on this earth who's breathing breath can receive the gospel. Two, the gospel is Jesus' work on the cross. It's through Jesus. No other way. Ever, ever, ever. It's only through Jesus. Okay? That's the first. The second to do. Invite the Holy Spirit to help us see things the way he sees them so that we don't get caught up in the here and now and lose perspective of how great God is. Number three, remember that in the difficult times, it's not our place to shoulder the burden alone. It's to put it at the foot of the cross and take on Jesus' yoke and Jesus' burden. And then number four, experiencing God's divine redemptive love gives us a chance to grasp a little bit more its immensity. And then we take what we do grasp, even if it's just a little trickle of it, 
and apply that to other relationships. As much as we can get into God's love, as much as we pour out into other people, the best we can. <clears throat> so as we wrap that up, maybe there are those that are listening on the podcast or Zoom who, maybe this is new to you. Maybe this is a new concept. Maybe this isn't what you thought the church was about. <laughs> and if you're interested in that, I can't see you. I can't talk to you. You might be listening to this months after this happens. But if this gets your attention and you want to know more about this God, this Jesus, who offers us a lighter burden and a greater amount of love, then just say this with me. Jesus, I've heard some incredible things in this message. Things that I didn't think characterized Christianity. And I'm interested. I'm interested in the love. I'm interested in the grace. I'm interested in what you have to offer. Will you reveal yourself to me that I can know you truly for who you are? Amen. And that's it. If you said that, then wait for Jesus to talk to you. If you have more questions, be, we'd be glad to follow up with you. If you know a Christian, uh, get a hold of them, ask them some questions. If you don't, you can always get to us uh, through our email at info at tgpchicago.org. Once again, that's info at tgpchicago.org. And uh, one of our ministers, one of our uh, prayer ministers, would love to get in touch with you and uh, do some follow-up. So uh, with that, uh, I'm Dusty going to wrap us up in a final worship song. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.